It was a leaderless revolution. Fifty years after the end of the Civil War, blacks in the South found they couldn't vote and they couldn't protect their families. They couldn't pass a white driver on the road. They couldn't offer to shake a white man's hand. They couldn't contradict a white person in, or in, even in some places they couldn't stay out past 8 p.m. Jim Crow made their citizenship less than meaningless. It made it an irony. And so they left quietly and without fanfare, and without really knowing the kind of massive change that they were making in the country's economic and cultural landscape. Six million African Americans left the South. It's called The Great Migration, and it's the subject of Isabel Wilkerson's new book. She calls it the first mass act of independence by a people who were in bondage in this country for far longer than they have been free. The first big step the nation's servant, servant class ever took without asking. The book's called The Warmth of Other Sons, The Epic Story of the Great Migration, and Isabel Wilkerson joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. Good to be here. You spent 15 years of research on this book, and as I understand, it was really because you discovered that nobody had written this book before, and you decided to write it yourself. That's correct. I grew up as the child of the migration uh, in Washington, D.C. My mother had migrated from Georgia to Washington, D.C., and my father from Southern Virginia to Washington, D.C. in different decades and met there at Howard University and uh, married. And I am a product and perhaps would not even exist without the Great Migration, which is the case for many African Americans in the North and West. And, and knowing that, it's really no surprise that you chose to to center this, this book around three personal individual stories of three people. And, and you chose them after you interviewed about 1,200 people. You went all over the country looking for for people who were part of the Great Migration, and you settled on three. Yes, I settled on three. One was uh, a sharecropper's wife in Mississippi. Her name was Ida Mae Gladney, and she left because uh, the there was a cousin of theirs who was beaten within an inch of his life over a theft that he had not committed. And, and another one that, that's just really interesting is the story of Robert Foster, and he was an incredibly talented, smart doctor. And, and maybe you could tell us about his migration. Yes, he migrated from Monroe, Louisiana, because he'd served in the Army as a surgeon, but when he got back home, he found that he could not practice surgery in his own hometown of Monroe in Louisiana, and he decided to set off on what became an unexpectedly treacherous journey across the desert alone. He was going to get to California and send to his family, but he had a, a traumatic experience in trying to get across the country, partly because there was no place for, that he could stay. There was no place that would accept him and allow him to stay. And I attempted in the course of the research of this book to recreate that journey myself. And I could only make it as far as Yuma, Arizona. Well, you know, one of the, the things that you're examining in this book is is how the Great Migration changed America. And, and it's impossible to really trace all of the different threads, although you do a really, really great job. But one of the things that struck me was just culturally, you, you list off a number of the musicians who would never have been born had their parents not met uh, after migrating from the South. I mean, it, it's really like the course of music history, not just jazz, but we wouldn't have Motown were it not for uh, the Great Migration. We wouldn't have Miles Davis. I mean, it really changed what we think of a, as American culture. It's incomprehensible, really, to imagine what would culture look like in our country and sound like in our country had it not been for the Great Migration. First of all, the majority of African Americans that you meet in the North and West 
are descended from the Great Migration. Ninety percent of all African Americans were living in the South at the time of the mi- that the migration began in the early part of the 20th century. By the end of the migration, half of them were living outside of mm-hmm. the South in the North. And they were living in the North and the West and the Midwest. And so, of course, Motown is phenomenal because it would simply not have existed without this migration. Barry Gordy, whose parents migrated from Georgia to Detroit, had they not done that, their son would not have been in Detroit to be able to draw from other children of the Great Migration, such as Diana Ross, the the Jackson family, so many of the people in Motown. When it comes to jazz, it's incomprehensible what might have happened. Hmm. Miles Davis, his parents migrated from Arkansas to uh, Illinois, uh, where he got the opportunity to to play, it's just incomprehensible. The thought of his not having the opportunity to learn to play. Uh, Thelonious Monk, his parents migrated from North Carolina to Manhattan to Harlem when he was five years old, and John Coltrane migrated at seventeen from North Carolina to Philadelphia, where he got his first alto sax. That is a pantheon. It's, it is. <laughs> Definitely. You know, Isabel, one of the things that's also incomprehensible is you can't really think visually about the northern industrial cities in the United States without large African-American populations. Yet this vivid scene on page 226 of your book, when Ida May uh, got her first glimpse of Chicago, what did it look like at the time, Chicago, you asked her? It looked like heaven to me then, she said. And that's a different Chicago than we know today, right? It is because you uh, imagine these people having come from rural open land with just fields and fields of either cotton for those people from those states, fields and fields of tobacco from people in those states, and arriving in these big cities with all of this energy, this metabolism, the streetcars, the high-rises, the... Uh, the the people clip-clopping on the sidewalk. I mean, it was overwhelming for them, and it was exactly what they had hoped for. You know, Isabel, their motivation in writing the book, I assume, wasn't just for the purposes of history, but there's something that you talk about, which is an odd phenomenon, to me at least, which is that so few people who were part of the Great Migration ended up really sharing the stories of what they endured in the South with their kids, we we talked to one of our listeners who uh, whose father brought their family out of South Carolina. This is a story she told about going back to the South every year. We went back to South every single year when I was growing up and drive down Route 13. And my mother would always pack this big cooler full of food for our bathroom stops. They were the side of the roads, and I could never understand why we couldn't go into the restaurants to use the bathroom or eat. And later on in life, my father told me that he would not subject his children to feeling less than because of the color of their skin. But Isabel Della didn't find out that from her father until she had to ask and press her dad for details about the Great Migration. Why are are people so reluctant to really talk about it? Well, I had that exact same experience with my own mother. She didn't want to talk about it. And part of it was because when they left, they left for good. They were in some ways not relocating from one place to another, but they were in some ways seeking asylum. And they they turned their back on all of that and started anew. Like any immigrant who may have come across from the Atlantic in steerage, they really were starting a new life, and they wanted to start fresh and not think about what they had gone through. They did not share it with their children in the same way that immigrants often do not want their children to necessarily know the old language because 
They want to start new and be American. And that's what these people were trying to do. I discovered things about my own family that I had no idea. For example, how my uncle had left the how he left the South was because he had discovered uh, that the man he was working for when he was cleaning up for him in his office, that was one of his jobs, he pulled, he opened a drawer and he found some white fabric. He pulled it out and unfurled a white robe and hood. And at that moment, he decided he was going to leave. And he went to Detroit. Isabel Wilkerson. I hadn't heard that. <laughs> and I imagine you are, you are probably speechless as I am. Well, Isabel how, Wilkerson. How proud are you of that, of those experiences? I believe that the Great Migration should be a part of American history that we all know about, and it was my goal to restore it to its rightful place in history through the lives of the people that I've interviewed. And that's what she's done. Isabel Wilkerson is the author of The Warmth of Other Suns, the epic story of America's Great Migration, an incredible book. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You can read the first chapter of uh, The Warmth of Other Suns on our website, thetakeaway.org. And while you're there, keep the conversation going. If your family was a part of the Great Migration, when did they leave the South? Where did they go? Share the story at thetakeaway.org. You don't have to be Miles Davis, but uh, you're one of them. Yeah, my family You were a part of that story. Yeah, Yeah. left uh, Arkansas. Well, you should go to thetakeaway.org and share your story. Maybe I will. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll blog about it. I'm John Hockenberry. And I'm Celeste Headley. This is The Takeaway. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex, of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts.